0: You're listening to Scariff Bay Community Radio, and this is a local media special. You'll be familiar with our local media this week programme, but today we've moved out of uh, the studio and we are in the University of Limerick, and we're guests today of uh, our friend and our colleague, David Fleming, David, it's great to be here.
1: Well, you're very welcome, Jim, and it's it's lovely to see the crew here. Um, we're we're just outside the county bounds. We can practically smell County Clare if we if we tried. Uh, the Shannon is very close by. But I'm delighted to welcome Scariff Bay Community Radio to the university, and I brought together a few colleagues and friends, uh, known and unknown to listeners. Um, so you, would you like might to hear? Oh yeah, yeah tell us who we have. Yeah, well, my colleague here, Catherine. Hayes. Dr Catherine Hayes uh, is a lecturer in, in, in journalism, is uh, uh, involved in our print side of journalism and uh, she's brought along Caleb Brennan who's a fourth-year BA student. Um, they'll all tell you shortly what they're involved in. Um, and here, here to my right is Porik McMahon, a journalist uh, for the Clare Echo and Fiona McGarry, journalist for the Clare
0: Champion great so great to have everybody here and uh, you're all very welcome. Uh, I suppose just I suppose to go around the table Catherine maybe we'll start with you just tell us about yourself how you have your journey to this point.
2: Absolutely delighted to be here today and um, uh, in such great company. Uh, So I am a journalist I I worked in industry for about 17 years before I took up my wonderful position here at the University of Limerick. As David mentioned there, I lecture in the journalism department, so we have an undergraduate and a a master's programme. So I come from a print background. My first job was in the Limerick Leader newspaper, so still um, a newspaper that's very close to my heart um, and so delighted to be here today to talk about local media. I I left the Leader to work for the Evening Echo, which um, you'll all be familiar with, the big Cork um, title. And then I set up a news agency with with a friend and colleague from RTE um, and we ran a very successful freelance news agency from Limerick for a number of years. And he then moved to France and is living the dream over there, selling wine to the French, which is another story. (laughs) But uh, um, I uh, stayed on writing mostly for the Irish Times from Limerick. So I suppose I have a background in both local and national media. I saw a lot of changes over that time. And then when I started teaching here, it was a great opportunity, I suppose, to look at journalism through another lens. So today we might get a chance to talk to you a little bit about that research that I have been doing that has been looking at working conditions in journalism and how the industry has changed. And, um, you know, we get an opportunity to, as I said, to look at that a lot, you know, through our students' eyes as well here in the University of Limerick, which is wonderful. And we're preparing them for an industry that has changed a lot. And I do believe that local media, which I'm delighted that we're talking about local media today, is such an important cog in democracy and i think from a from a young journalist perspective it is the best learning ground i mean you will never work as hard as you do in local media um so i think it's really important that we look at what's happening in local media and that we we, i suppose we protect and preserve local media so
0: okay yeah great to have you catherine thank you and i since you did talk about young people <laughs> uh, you have caleb caleb brennan uh from the college here you're a student caleb uh, tell us what what brought you here
3: so i'm very interested in local i think i'm from limerick city uh, myself so i think limerick city is kind of a bit of a its own kind of dominion its own kind of space for very insular kind of people and i think I'm very interested in, in like uh, journalism because of the stories that emerge here. So a few years ago, I decided to go back. So at the moment, I'm a final year student, one of uh, Katrin's. Uh, uh, I
0: don't Prize know, students.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and currently I'm working as podcast editor for LimerickVoice.com.
0: OK, and maybe we might ask you to talk about LimerickVoice.com a little bit later on. Absolutely. OK. Also here, uh, a guest who has been on this programme before from the Care Champion, Fiona McGarry. Fiona, you're very welcome. Great to see you Thanks here again. Much, and just I know you've probably done this before your first time on, on local media this week. But tell us about your journey to here.
4: Uh, similar to, to Catherine, I started out in local media, um, would have worked in, in print, in radio for a very long time. Um, I've worked in news talk radio, worked in television for a while in BBC in Northern Ireland, um, but was very involved in a a web platform called Maximum Media, which has the likes of joe.ie and her.ie. Um, I had a family involvement with that for a number of years and very interesting, very interesting time to work in it. I worked in Clare FM, returned to, to radio and now delighted to be working for the, the Clare Champion. Um, I also teach some journalism at the University of Limerick, primarily podcasting as it turns out, broadcasting and and some general print. And it's it's fantastic to work with, with people like Caleb, the new people who are coming out into the industry um because as Catherine said it's changed and i'm sure her research shows the ways in which it's going to change into the future um, but it's it's it, i suppose it is like catherine said it's fantastic to see it from from so many different platforms and so many different perspectives but um i have also worked in community radio in, in castlebar started out there actually that would have been the very very start of it so i know what a fantastic training ground community radio is and the absolute way in which community radio has its finger in the pulse, I think, Jim, in a way that very few other media can have. And and the participation that community radio enables um, and the dedication that it requires, I think, can't be underestimated either. I know you're all very, very dedicated and selfless in the time that you give it, but the service it provides, I think, to the community is is unparalleled. So for me, that was the the beginning of it all. Okay,
0: thanks very much, Fiona. We also have uh, again, it's not that long since we had him actually, uh, Parick McMahon from the Care Echo. Parick, you're welcome back as well. Thank you. I mean, just tell us your story. Yeah, I'll try to uh, whistle stop tour of it. Um,
5: so. Uh, as a leave insert student obviously you you give a lot of time to the books and you're in a routine so then after I finished my leave insert, I didn't know what to do with the some bit of time I had dedicated to studies so I was interested in journalism and in media so straight away thankfully to Mark Dunphy and got me involved with the Clare Herald, which is obviously a website in Clare and then Lisa Lawler in one of her last acts with Clare FM got me in doing a bit of sports reporting so I kept doing that while I was in college in just a Across the road in Mary Eye, so I'm not causing too much rivalry being here. <laughs> um, and I kept working with the two of them throughout college, and was also involved in Wired of him, a community radio station inside the the college. And then, uh, in just approaching my final year exams, I started with the Clare, with Clear Echo. Um, and then I think it's three years ago now. The years don't be long gone. I was appointed head of news and sport with Clear Echo, so um, that made me the youngest person in Ireland in that. Editorial position of that elk, so um, it probably added one or two grey hairs as well so <laughs> away from, from the young side of it. But um, yeah, and well, all the while doing a bit of freelancing, which it's like it's Irish Independent, the 42, the Journal, the Irish Examiner, the Irish Times anyone will take a <laughs> copy about Clare. <there.
0: laughs> Okay, and it just strikes me that everyone has had a mix of things. So, you know, none of you have been on a single track the whole way, like either print or media. You've all dabbled and tried different uh, paths. Pat O'Brien is here from Scariff Bay Community Radio. Pat, you're the man to blame for this particular program because it, it was your idea, but you're also someone, a volunteer like the rest of us here, but someone with their, with their finger on the pulse at a local level.
6: Yeah, Jim was I'm involved in a good few organizations around the the Parish and Academic okay, Middle at home. And then um, I think I had a chat with Joe and he was looking for somebody from Academic okay, Middle to do the, the local news. So uh, that started off so I got involved in with the, the radio, um and various uh having various programmes over the last few years. So I'm enjoying it anyway, Jim so really <laughs> Yeah, right. and I think you you do the care
0: champion. Notes yeah, I do. Right?
6: Yeah, I do the notes for the, I, I put together the notes every week for the care champion as well.
0: Okay, so you're and I'm, you're one of the people Fiona was talking about. With yeah, you.
6: maybe a not not story for politics. we
0: we spread <laughs> it out. Okay, listen, it's it's great to have everybody here, and uh, again, thanks to David for organising us here. We're in the uh, studio of the media department of University. Of Limerick, and uh, it's great to be here. Catherine, can I can I go back to you? Um, maybe to outline for us and for our listeners the what the current media landscape is like, and it's probably going in several different directions. I mean, we are today we're talking about journalism, and we're talking about you know the, how journalism, particularly in the local context of, of County Clare, in our case, uh, print online radio and podcasts so there's several branches of it maybe you might just go through
2: yeah i suppose just what's really interesting about uh ireland is well it's a small media market um so what's and i know um we'll probably talk today about the, the future of media report and You know, concentration is a big issue in Ireland, but because it is a small media market, if it was once described as being one of the most heavily concentrated of any democracy, so that has implications. But I suppose, just to to think about local media, I mean, it. it, There was a couple of stats that were very alarming. I suppose in in recent years, it's seventeen local newspapers. Um, have ceased publication since 2008. So that's 17 local communities without a local paper. So that's a very stark figure, again, in a small media market or in a country this size. But equally, when we think about local media, how important it is. So we have um, a heavily concentrated media market, but equally, we you know, there are, there isn't huge scope for commercially funded media either. So when you do have, and there's one names bring into mind a media company that comes in and buys a lot of local news titles which we have at the moment um, uh, one media company that owns 22 um, uh, news local news titles <clears throat> excuse me and is currently trying to increase that figure to 23 um on the one hand, you think, great, you know, hopefully there's money behind um, this company. It will secure jobs. But then when you look, and I know the NUJ have expressed concerns around this for local media in particular, um, that uh, if, one one company owns this number of titles, it also has an implication for plurality, and if they're going to be sharing editorial services, you know, and I, I'm sure Fiona and Park are nodding there, it, it, you know, so that's what's very interesting about Ireland. But I suppose what's really important for Ireland is, you know, and I often say this to to students and to open days, like, we need local media, we need uh, we, we need local media because people in communities trust local media. and we're going to talk a lot about trust today, but we, and I mentioned earlier, I started working in local media and in national media, but you can see, you know, we talk about journalism having a watchdog role, and, you know, but local media must have that role, but equally there's, and there's a big debate, I suppose, is it the watchdog or is it the friendly neighbour? And maybe that's where community... Um, media comes in as well, where you can have you can you can be both, I suppose. But like it's really important if we don't have um, a strong local media presence, and if we do, sorry, going back to my first point about concentration. So we have a heavily concentrated media landscape here in Ireland, and you know, so if so, for my research, I was looking at my last study was a case study of what was happening in one a local news outlet, which a legacy title, which has now migrated online like so many others. And things that were happening there that are being replicated across the group, you would have serious concerns, you know. Um, I think you mentioned it a few minutes ago, maybe it was in the chat before we went on air, about you know digital analytics and if stories are doing well and types of stories. And in this particular case study, the, the, the high-performing stories, the top 20 are shared every week across all the titles. So, you know, and the owners and the managers would say, oh, no, it's, it's just to incentivize staff because journalists want to have the in the old days a front page or you want a story that everybody's reading. But what type of stories are, are attracting the audiences? And also, I spoke to journalists who were feeling increase, under increasingly more pressure because their, 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 their stories weren't in the top 10 high performing stories. And the, the managers were saying, Oh, but we're not sharing the reporters' names, it's just their stories. But if you click on the story, you can see who wrote the story. So sorry now, Jim, I'm probably gone off on a tangent, but I'm just I suppose these are all challenges that local media are facing and you know, so the slideshows are doing really well online, so let's have more sli- slideshows. But you have journalists that want to be out chasing stories, not putting together slideshows, but then we have to keep the lights on, you know, and I suppose we'll talk a lot about that today as well. How do we how do we fund it? So um uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's a challenging time, undoubtedly. For we, It's a, it's, a, it's a small country, a small media market, but we do need to, and I know the National Union of Journalists are very much um, uh, vocal around what's happening in terms of ownership models and lack of diversity, shared editorial, you know, so if you have one media company owning a lot of local titles and sharing um, staff across titles, you know, where is the diversity there in terms of news and um, the implications for that, I suppose, on current affairs and et cetera.
0: Yes, okay. Yeah. And I suppose... A couple
2: of points there maybe, sorry.
0: No, that's fine. And, and I mean, it's, it is a wide area and it, it's, it's, you know, there, there's so many different strands to it. Um, I mean, would you say journalist independence uh, comes under threat? Uh, in the landscape that we have now or as, as you described it mm-hmm. particularly with let's say a, a media barons owning mm-hmm. several titles
2: Well I think what happened during Covid you know and um, I know we've how many minutes in we, we didn't mention it was 15 minutes in um, you know you, you saw again in local media what was happening the amount of staff that were furloughed um, in one very um, well known news title the health correspondent was furloughed in, in a in a, in a global pandemic I mean it's just beggars belief but that really created a sense of fear because you had people who weren't furloughed or who weren't made redundant that almost had survivor's guilt then afterwards and I think you know what we saw you know there was no sport and there was a lot of things that weren't happening so you know tough decisions had to be made but I think maybe it has certainly certainly in the people I've spoken to for my study it has influenced their ability to voice your know, concern or maybe to mm. uh, because they're concerned about jobs there are jobs I mean on a positive there are jobs and a lot of our journalism students are getting jobs and I always and I said it a few minutes ago you'll never work as hard as you in local media and there are jobs what, what, what we are noticing and perhaps um, Fiona you might have noticed this as well or, or other people here say in local media now that older People when they retire, they aren't being replaced by experienced journalists. It's new um, graduates, which is fine. But where's the mentoring opportunities? If you're looking around a newsroom and everyone's the same age, like I remember when I went into the Limerick Leader. Now it is a long time ago now, but you had even the first days going to court it was always somebody with you for those first few days. Now, I mean, if our courts aren't being covered or our councils or there isn't that mentoring opportunity. Um, so I've now gone off yeah. another tangent because you asked me, is it affecting um, yeah. independence? Yeah, I suppose there, there is. I mean, people are, if people are fearful for their jobs and also if young journalists don't know that there is any other way, then they'll just accept this as the norm. You know, I think yeah. we have to look at how media is funded, but also when journalists are working in newsrooms, the mentoring opportunities and um, I think replacing retired staff with experienced journalists as well and getting people to stay in local media as well you know
0: yeah i suppose re- replacing experienced staff with, mm. with is is a feature right across mm. the the employment area fiona um, as Catherine talks there, describes the local landscape um, and and you work for the care Champion, who is an independent, is mm-hmm. not part of, of what it she is. was talking and proudly, about.
4: Proudly so, yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, how do you see yourselves, you know, in vis-a-vis what Catherine was saying?
4: Yeah, I think it's fascinating to hear Catherine's helicopter perspective on it, because I think this is exactly the lived experience for, for local journalists, very, very, very much so. Um, and that research sounds absolutely fascinating and very insightful. Uh, I, I, yeah, to come back to that point that you made, Jim, about the independence of journalists, I, I, I do think, and I, I don't know if it's the same for Porick, but there is a kind of an unconscious, kind of a chilling effect, really. I think Catherine is right. If you, if you survive the pandemic as a journalist, if you survive... All the various challenges. I mean, we we have everything now from the cost of actual paper, um, you know, facing, and it's 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 a it's a real it's a clear and present danger to people who still come out and print. If you survive all of those challenges, you know, you you do kind of thank your lucky stars that that you're still a working journalist after umpteen, and I'm not going to say how many years I, I'm a working journalist for, but you know, there are so many challenges and so many reasons to leave the profession, so many and so many pull factors and you know there's good employment now people can leave journalism I mean people can get into journalism but people can also leave it and you do want to stay and you want to to stick it out but I think there is maybe for most people it may not be somebody coming into your newsroom and saying well don't cover this or don't cover that or leave that story alone but there is a kind of a subconscious kind of a checking sometimes with yourself well will my organization have my back if something goes wrong or if you know, touch wood there. But for the grace of God, we, we all run the risk of accidental libels. It comes with the territory. You know, will the organisation be able to withstand something like that if we were to to poke the wrong powerful person? I'm not saying it's specifically a Clare issue, but it's an issue in other newsrooms where where maybe journalists internalise a little bit of that caution. And it certainly doesn't serve journalism. And you mentioned investigative journalism, I think, Jim, and The climate for investigations is so difficult with our libel laws in ireland anyway Um, and it's difficult in the context of our funding models as well you know we as somebody said we have to keep catherine said we have to keep the lights on at the end of the day so you know there are many challenges Um, i really agree with the mentoring issue i think that's a huge one that catherine has touched on really experienced journalists educated exiting without their knowledge of local places being, being, you know, they don't have the time to pass it on or sometimes exits, you know, there's rationalisation, somebody's exit might be hasty, they may not have you know, the, the notice period for whatever reason, so there's a huge issue there mm. and I think there's a bit of a gulf um, between newcomers coming in and, and those who are exiting for various reasons, yeah.
1: I, I suppose the big the big question for, for all of the journalists uh, here with us, Jim, is you know w- will print media survive um you know you've you've painted
4: it's uh, uh, a terrible picture between. Well,
2: the two. well uh, <laughs> I, I <laughs> and would I'm say a, a positive, <laughs> negative.
1: The, but I'm looking here at um, the future of media commission report, which is just summer 2022, and I'm looking at a graph which shows the decline in advertising revenues for print me- for the press media from 2017 to last year, and it shows 2025, and it's a phenomenal mm. decline. From 134 million euro in 2017 down to 73 million uh, in 2021, and in three years' time it'll be 40 million. Surely newspapers can't survive that. If 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 the advertisers are deserting the newspapers, Porik, what do you think?
5: Yeah, well, I was thinking about that question um, in advance of today, and in Clare at the minute there's a big strategy being done called the NS2040 strategy. And a lot of preparation be done for that and unfortunately i'd be very surprised if paid for local newspapers are there by 2040. Um, i just think the model it depends which model that particular publication has and i'm not saying it because we have it we're a free newspaper but we you have to pay for what we would regard as quality articles online yeah whereas on the flip side we have newspapers the majority of them we're one of the few local outlets that do that the majority of local newspapers that are paid for give you go buy paper for 250 for 290 whatever it is but here all of our good stuff you can read it for free online i think it's madness i've said it loads of times and i think unless the actual publications and the management kind of change their procedure and that like why they would you survive. why would you advertise, but but, you know?
1: but even for yourselves the claire echo surely that graph there that you can see over my shoulder that should be frightening to any owner or editor
5: oh yeah it is but like we in our organization we have two practically separate funding models we have the paper model Mm. which is totally reliant on advertising yeah maybe isn't
1: sustainable i would say yeah and then our online is funded by subscribers so do you see a shift then over to do, do you see a future for the print side of the paper I wouldn't be as optimistic,
5: yeah, um, yeah. even for print in general, for local news, but even um, national newspapers, yeah. I, I wouldn't be, unfortunately yeah. for, and I'm not too much older than Caleb, so I'm not <laughs> being negative <laughs> towards all young journalists, but it's, I wouldn't be too optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you, not of young people don't
6: buy papers. Yeah. You know the young, young, even my sons. The of the, the paper. I always bought papers because the Clare champion always came into our house. And any clear people, you know, you have the clear people and you have a different um, back along, and we'd always buy the paper. But um, I'd say the the leads never you know Unless I pointed out some article that maybe they, they they just weren't that interested. It's
3: in it. <laughs> true though. I think most young audiences have migrated online, so the digitalized versions of newspapers, Twitter, all these different forms of news or what people are consuming of like a younger demographic I think so which I feel like print media is battling with that as well
1: do you think there's a future Caleb for the print side of the house
3: I'd probably be as pessimistic as Porik yes. uh, yeah.
2: I suppose as Fiona said there's a very important thing is the, the price of paper um, mm. and and also business, as Porik talk about business models Advertisers, people aren't buying papers. So not only are Caleb's Park's uh, age bracket put you together now, not uh, buy papers. Feel I know now when I ask in the classroom for a show of hands, if anyone or does anyone at home, in your home, buy the paper? So the parents aren't buying, I don't know how old your sons are, but the parents aren't, so people in their 40s aren't buying papers yeah. now. Mm. Most of my friends don't buy papers anymore, newspapers, and <clears throat> it's cheaper to even to have an online subscription somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, but one thing that I think is really interesting and Caleb will see this next semester, So we're going to talk in a minute about Limerick Voice. So we still, Limerick Voice is a news project that is very much an integral part of the Journalism Education Programme here in UL. Fiona will remember it well. And it started as a community newsletter and now it's grown into um, a multi-platform, (laughs) award-winning news project. But no, it's a great learning opportunity for, for our students. But we are still holding firm on the newspaper element, which we now publish in spring semester. But what I just love every year is how excited, and David, I know you always come to our launch, how excited everybody is, especially the students, to see their names in print. So they might have been publishing across all platforms all all year, but yeah, it's like the magic of newspapers is yeah. still alive. Yeah. And Alan English, remember, said it at one of our earlier launches, he tweeted it, ironically. And it, it, the <laughs> irony is not lost on me, as though well when I see the, the, the students doing the selfies or the Insta stories of themselves <laughs> with the physical paper. But last year, I was gutted at mm-hmm. the quality, the print quality, the paper was so thin, the bleed through was really bad. Um, but anyway, look, that's an aside. But I know when I tried to query it, it's the cost of print. but. At the end of the day, if if the, if the advertising uh, isn't paying, now we still haven't figured out how to monetize digital the same way as the ads, I suppose, for a physical newspaper, you know, the revenue they brought in. But advertisers want to know where the audience is. Yeah. And if the audience is online and the consumers, you know, we're consuming our news online.
1: I mean, Fiona, the champion has an online presence, but you don't charge for... This quality journalism that you're producing, um, like, is That's is nice. that is that part of a. I, I, w- I was thinking maybe you suck them in first, you get the readers going. I mean, I remember the Irish Times. The Irish Times really struggled to to get their online platform going. And the mm. Irish Independent was free yeah. up until a few months ago. Uh, we, sorry, mm-hmm. years ago. Um, so you is it about building an audience on on the to online platform? To some
4: extent, and actually you mentioned Independent News and Media. And um, we had Peter van der Meers from CEO of Media House Ireland, who are the owners of, of Independent News and Media now, And actually he gave a fascinating talk and it was all about kind of three phases of media from when he had first been a student in the the 1980s up to the the kind of crash of the the 20, 2008, kind of to 2014 and then kind of the the premium models and what you're talking about now. He did talk about that, the importance of, of building the audience and then introducing the paywall. And I think the Echo have, have done that very effectively for the, the premium content. And as Catherine says, it is still cheaper to have the subscription than than to actually, you know, when you consider the cost of buying the paper and actually recycling it and people, you know, yeah. having papers around the house, they don't want that anymore. And um, but Peter Vandermish was incredibly positive about but I think the time is right now for that paywall in a way that it may not have been, yeah. maybe kind of five certainly not yeah. ten years ago, when people had that aversion to to paying for content and I think it is a generational thing as well and I'd love to know how Caleb feels because you know a lot of people of that generation it's just the concept of paying for something that you can get online it's just anathema but I do think that's changed and that's in the interests of, of journalism but certainly independent news and media media house But they're offering, I mean, all of that cross platform content now, including podcasting, video casts, um, breaking news, kind of almost replicating what local radio or national radio would have done. Um, But I do think, yeah, the audience has to be has to be built first. But Mm. you do have to be very, very careful about how you introduce it then, Mm. because people might have already migrated in different directions.
2: There was, sorry, very quickly, there was a very good point made at the joint Octus committee meeting. A few weeks ago, um, they were discussing the future of... Media And uh, Dawn Wheatley from DCU, but she was talking about paywalls and the danger in having like a two-tier landscape where, you know, I get a certain quality of news because I'm paying and Johnny beside me isn't. So, you know, that we need to be very careful. Um,
1: Yeah, but isn't that what the the future of the Media Commission have tried to get at as well with this public service element to everything what, no matter what pl- platform we're using, um, whether it's the community radio, whether it's the press media, whether it's podcasts, that uh, in covering certain types of news will be of benefit to ours, to our communities, to our society, to democracy, which you left, started with, Catherine. And therefore, shouldn't we shouldn't the Gov- shouldn't the state be contributing to your newspapers and to podcasts and to the community radio stations? Well, what's your, what would be your I, views on that?
2: I, I think so. And I know um, me and Martin, they rejected the licence fee. It was, I think it was the only one of the 50 recommendations, wasn't it, that was rejected because, you know, fears for a democracy and government intervention. But I do absolutely think that... Local radio stations, community radio stations, local newspapers need government funding. But equally, as and again, it was said at the joint access committee meeting, if we are going to position journalism as this give this public duty title, then it needs to be transparent. So media outlets rather need to say who who they are owned by, you know, what they are, what type of like what, what coverage they are, what type of coverage they're giving, um, who they're employing. Um, across how many titles, so there, it needs to be transparent as well. But I do think we need we need government funding. I suppose
0: that brings us maybe to another area of you know our, our trust in the in the journalists and in the local media. Um, I mean, just Parik, you know, maybe to address that, how how would you, you or how would your paper, for example, um, ensure that we the readers believe you? <laughs> um yeah that's a wide ranging one um i think a lot of it comes
5: down to um track record and i'm just kind of dodging over and back and jumping but we just spoke about the modeling and stuff and like fiona has done fantastic work covering the Pyrite. uh but dan denner in the last two weeks did probably the best investigative journalism that's been done in Clare for three or four years on the dueling coast card and i was, I was telling everyone you need to buy the Clare champion and then oh actually don't it's for free online but um that's you know comes back to the modeling side of it but on the funding as well that we were just touching on i thought the government during covid they funded local radio stations but i sure know my don't mind the papers mm. i don't know what that was about and then you listen to local media or your local radio stations and there was kind of hse ads in the middle of the news bulletins um you know so i i thought that was uh clearing the obvious disparity from the government's perspective on it. But just on trust, I think there's an onus on, and I know it just from working closely with Fiona, working closely with Dan, Owen and Jessica and the champion, that they are committed to their job. Um, So I know them, so I buy the Clare champion every week and I have for years and will continue to do so. Um, And I know they hold people to account because I've gone to press conferences with them and they ask tough questions. Whereas there's other people in the Clare media who I would describe as, I wouldn't call them journalists because that's an insult to journalists, to call them that, but sh- they'd be fangirls or fanboys with a microphone or a typewriter. And they, those people are very damaging to the trust of journalism when you know they nearly ask their questions on Twitter. Whereas we're in a privileged position. Like last week, for argument's sake, uh, just to give one example, Carl um, Crow and Timmy Dooley were involved in a bit of a tete-a-tete. Timmy put up a critical tweet, which was aimed at Carl. And you know, for me, as a local journalist, I could pick up the phone and actually ask Timmy about it. Now he didn't answer me Friday or Saturday, but mm-hmm. just the beauty of local media, I was walking around Dennis and I said, there's Timmy Dooley. So I went over and met <laughs> <had to, laughs> and I got to ask him the question. So it's a privileged position. And there was a lot of people walking past wondering it, and they might, they might say, who's Timmy, who's your man, or whatever, but it's how you build that trust and it's that track record of actually asking and holding the people in power to account. Because Catherine has mentioned, she's mentioned the courts and the council. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like we won't miss a council meeting because something will get shoved in without the media being there to hold them account. They're one of the biggest employers, let alone of providing the biggest services in Clare. So Clare County Council, we particularly go big on no agenda against any of them, but it's just, they need to be kept to account. Um, And it's just by having that mindset, and um, I know, I'm probably speaking for Clare Champions as well, but I just know those journalists have that mindset as well. So Clare is well served by its two local
0: papers, um, I can say anyway, in terms of yeah. trust. trusted point. Fiona, future. would you share what Porrick has been saying there?
4: Uh, I certainly would. And just for um, I suppose just that point about Dan and the investigation into the Doolan Coast Guard is just absolutely superb. And, and you know, I think sometimes when you are that investigative journalist, Catherine mentioned good neighbours and watchdogs. You know, sometimes in a community you are walking a fine line. There, there's pressure not to cover things. And and Dan has done a superb job on that story in particular. I think this issue of, of trust, um, I think is very relevant to Caleb's generation. And, and I know from speaking to my younger nephews, the stuff that people see and are exposed to online and, and believe in. And we saw it during the pandemic, the infodemic, the, the misinformation, the disinformation. It's, it's, it's an enormous problem online. I do think um, the local media and the national kind of quality. Um, titles are a counterbalance to that and one of the things my students I'm sure Catherine finds this, they find particularly interesting is verification mm. um, and, and they really really get into it because they themselves are, are wading through a barrage of fake news and misinformation and disinformation they're third level educated, they're critical thinkers, they're able to decipher, you know, to, to a large degree what's true, what's trustworthy and what isn't, but their families often are not and even students on other courses who are high points, high scoring students you know maybe in engineering and not just engineering but they're not and they're falling victim to fake mm. news online to mm. misinformation and to yeah. disinformation yeah. And so i, I just, think this verification and the training that journalists receive and we've all been trained in verification or we've learned the hard way maybe by falling victim to a hoax in the early days and um, so i think that's where the the trust issue is so so important
0: okay i just think maybe caleb is more exposed to all this fake stuff than the rest of us because you you know as as a younger person you probably statistically anyway you're more online than maybe the rest of us
3: yeah i feel like we're more online but i also feel like young people generally have this kind of uh this media literacy that's so kind of critical i feel like journalism especially young journalism students kind of often play the role of like within family group chats for instance Mm. for dispelling and i think I that's, think that's
4: great and i think it should be done i think it's so important that within 100%. your family group chat you take that difficult decision because sometimes we, as we know people don't want to hear it but it's it's great to hear that you
3: that's a, that's almost an element as well of like going forward as well for like local journalists to be so cognizant of mm-hmm. that the world is more and more digital and will continue to become more so not everyone will be as comfortable navigating that landscape so there are be new challenges posed by this digital networks such as fake news. I know, for instance, my own, my nan loves the community radio, my nan loves the radio, always has these voices in her house, but she's very susceptible. She'll be telling me stuff where I I don't even know what she's saying it from, but you just know it's probably hogwash you saw on like Facebook or anything like these. So, you know, I feel that that's an element as well coming into local journalism.
1: But Caleb, um, you 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 have the benefit of being a student of this. Um, mm-hmm. most most people um, of all ages aren't probably, uh, as critical, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the report here says that seventy percent of Irish people ha- trust our print and radio media. So that's a very high percentage, Catherine, isn't it? Seventy mm. percent, um, and we're probably we're less trusting of 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 social media and and other things. Yeah. But the percentages are still rather high. H- how can how can how do people navigate? Like, how, what would you say? Now, you, you're you're literate, shall we use that term? Um, but but the ordinary eighteen-year-old, twenty-one-year-old, how do they? How do they decide what's real and what's not? Or are they just I suppose, accepting?
3: I suppose that's that's a good question. I I wouldn't really be too certain on it. But I suppose I suppose everyone nowadays tries to consume lots of different media so I think people are bombarded with media actually and at times that can be quite uh, disparaging and people don't know perhaps what to trust because there's too much information at times
1: Do you think there is a future um, for for the like, would young people go to a, 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 a well-established paper like the Clare Echo and and the Champion, or the Limerick Leader in in the case of Limerick? Like, would they go to those if they're to their online platforms now? I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, or are they more likely to get their news from a social media from their from their social media and the feeds that are coming into that? Or you know, where do you think people of your particular generation since you're the generation yeah. that are getting more of this from uh from online than than pat's generation i'm going to put myself <laughs> in between
3: <laughs> i think i was saying off air and it's one thing i've noticed myself anyway that people i feel like people are now gravitating toward away from let's say sites so if the new story happens uh if there's something happened, let's say, in the dollar, or something like that, I think people would be more akin to, let's say, log on Twitter and look at Richard Chambers, for instance, or if there's a sports story, look at, like, for Bitsy Romano, if, if anyone is interested in sports, they know, go to him, for instance. I feel like people are more gravitated towards, perhaps, uh, journalists that are working on Twitter, for instance, so it's more of like th- that element rather than sites themselves. But I feel that as well, though, when there's still the qualities within those journalists as well, that the papers will have, so they'll still need to have the trust in the journalist. So every, I think everyone, I'm using Richard Chambers here as the example, and I feel like everyone here will have a reasonable trust of Richard Chambers because of the work he's done previously. But it does pose perhaps a problem yeah. in the future because you don't always know who yeah. exactly But do you think are. do
1: you think a young person would actually make that effort to get their news? Yeah, I do they think would. so. I that's, do think so. That's yeah. positive.
2: But it's probably I suppose that's really interesting the 70 percent trust is probably one of the many paradoxes of people trust certain outlets. So, um, do we trust Richard Chambers because he's a good journalist but because of the organisation, he because he's yes. with an organisation? But where we are seeing his news is on Twitter. Yes. These are the platforms. So, we are trusting of media but we're not going to pay for it and we're probably going to trust... Uh, the, 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 the media, if well, they'll appear on a particular platform, but we'll trust them because of the organisation that mm-hmm. they, they work for. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it, it's quite interesting. It so mm-hmm. the bigger question then is, how, but how do we make sure that we're paying the Richard Chambers um, and that their working conditions are, are good enough to keep them working well in journalism, you know? So it's, it's yeah. very interesting. And I think the audience and, you know, we have a lot of questions as well. I mean, we should be critical of journalism. Um, absolutely. And but we also, and this is why I, I suppose, coming from industry into academia, we need to also, as academics, be critical of the output, but also stop and think about the context and the working conditions. So, you know, and especially if we, I don't, there's so many, we, we need to think about how, you know, we're funding media and how journalists are being trained and verification, if Fiona talked about, is so important because that immediacy of, of online and this constant um, you know I, I i've interviewed older established journalists who have loads of experience but just this constant pressure to feed the social media platforms and the online every deadline is a now deadline yeah. um everyone else is running it should, should, and i say this to students all the time They won't remember you for breaking it, but they'll remember you if you got it wrong. Yes. But your editor wants you to be first. Um,
1: Just listening to you uh, and the earlier conversation about the courts and the Mm -hmm. councils and so on, the move to online platforms will allow all sorts of analysis. You will know exactly now what readers are reading Mm -hmm. and listening to if they're podcasts. In the past, you got your paper And you wouldn't know what they, what, in my household the mother and the father would turn immediately to the debts. That's the first thing they would look at. And and then, so, uh, where do, I mean, will papers become, or will media outlets, whatever platforms they're using, will they become very conscious of of particular themes? You know, the fact may be that uh, 50% of time people will go to sport. Um, but that will only five percent of the readers are interested in in council news. will will that affect the future of coverage, porig, do you think?
5: Well just a bit of insight we have on that. Um, and like just to go back to one previous point, I think Caleb, I identified it fairly clearly. I think the younger people are probably the most media literate in terms of competency, they can snuff it out because they've (laughs) grown up with the social media and they know this is reliable, this isn't. But um, Just on that, and again it's tying into the same thing on what insights and what's working with with our subscription model, (laughs) we can see which particular story brings in X amount of subscribers and a lot of the time we can see it is a young audience that we have which is uh, both rewarding Mm -hmm. and interesting that there are almost two different audiences that we have. I, 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 and will will I, that
1: drive? Will that drive future coverage? Well, it
5: does. It's, it's just very interesting analysis that you get an instant reaction if I do a story that that's brought in seven subscribers whereas I could have put two weeks' work into another thing and it gets one or none. <laughs> yeah. you know? So it's very interesting to see oh, yeah. because it's almost like a live feed of someone reading the paper and saying, yeah. oh, that's interesting. Or
1: and, and would it prevent you? I mean, that's a very good example. W- 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 you put two weeks' work into that one and you got one. Like, would you bother then, next month, putting two weeks into another story, knowing that you might get no reader? Um, no, I still would do it,
5: reasonably right. enough. Why? Why? Um, <laughs> because it's a story we're telling Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. somewhere if we put the effort yeah. into it there's obviously a reason for it yeah. um, but then it's just it's and is it not
1: just
0: saying that you might be out of touch with uh, your readers maybe <laughs> <laughs> uh, that can be
5: said every week
0: <laughs> I'm wondering I'm just thinking our own and Scarif Bay Community Radio you know we have fans of all our departments and, and we know that from the podcast but sport is certainly way way up there and I'm just thinking I mean i Traditionally I know a lot of people who bought the Clare Champion every Friday evening and the first thing they went to was the, the sports pages and the fixtures. Um so sport is a huge seller, Fio. Would you um oh, go along with that?
4: Oh it is and, and that's why we see the plethora of of you know sports websites and sports accounts and social media who do enormous traffic. I actually think and I've often noticed local notes and, and this isn't reflected in online because local notes don't really exist kind of in online. I know they do on Facebook and sometimes, you know, there's a community Facebook page which has kind of replaced the local notes or, or, or maybe in danger of doing so. But I actually have noticed that notes are a huge driver and I've, I've observed like. Um, David talking about his parents reading deaths first I've observed people and it's heartbreaking if you have the front page and it's a huge investigative story (laughs) somebody takes the front page throws it away goes straight to the sport and then they go through all the notes they'll go through where they live they'll go through where their son-in-law lives and they'll go through oh well, my cousin lives up here and they'll read all the notes so I don't know where notes are going to feature in the, mm. the future of digital yeah, yes. are they just going to be subsumed by the, the community Facebook page but they are they're actually a driver and they've never I've never seen them really kind of considered as a as a circulation driver but sport local notes mm. um, absolutely and and like Poddy said you may put the two weeks of work in for the front page story and you literally see somebody and they're just <laughs> taking that front page and disregarding. All but it career, would be a
0: pity you? if if that type of two week job investigative oh, journalism disappeared because yeah. it, they didn't have the... I
4: think there's a huge challenge in investigative journalism. It's the news that people need to know, but they may not kn- know that they need to know it. So it's mm. it's all about how you present it. And that's where the multimedia platforms can be so powerful. And um, podcasting, you know, is a great okay. way of, of you hear the voice of somebody involved, the human side of an investigation I think there is a challenge, you know, an investigation. They're so important, but I think how you present them to yeah. the audience. Mm.
0: I'm just wondering, and, you know, looking to the future then, um, where you have, at the moment, you have print newspapers, you have uh, an online sometimes behind a paywall or partially behind a paywall. I mean, I see something I tune into a odd time is Times Radio uh, in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's like a radio station. Um, <laughs> Are you going to see media outlets go right across the board with with newspaper at the moment, with, with online content with possibly a radio station, with podcasts, video podcasts, which, which you have done as well, Boric. Is that is that where we're going? I wonder. Maybe Catherine mm, might.
2: I, I I think so, definitely. And you see the Irish Times podcast and just something that, as well that your listeners might be interested in, but we had Maliki Brown here a few weeks ago, um, uh, Pulitzer Prize winning, Limerick-born, uh, journalists with the New York Times, and oh my gosh, just some of the work that they are doing, it's just these
1: incredible. Malachi uh, Brown was amongst those journalists who were the first to verify the Bucha massacres mm-hmm. in the in, in Ukraine.
2: But I think for our young uh, journalists and students and everybody in the audience that night, it's just fascinating, but to see people working Um, from different disciplines, you know, so they they had 3D construction, there was an architect on the team. Now, obviously, the New York Times are funding this investigative journalism, but if it's Dan Danaher's piece on on the duel lifeguards, or if it's New York Times investigative journalism on what's happening in Russia, it's shining a a light in dark places and on on issues that we need to to know about. And it mightn't be pleasant, as you said earlier, and we might know that we need to know, but we do need to know. Um, So sorry, (laughs) my point was we need investigative journalism, but we need uh, need it to be paid for. And we are relying more and more on freelance journalists now as well as an industry and freelance journalists, like most jurisdictions, but in Ireland, they are not paid for their time spent researching. Um, they're paid for the final, you know, product. So you've got like in Clare now, Gordon Deegan, Your listeners will be familiar with him, an incredible journalist who's very well established, who does some great work, and using freedom of information requests. And um, you know, but you, you know, and he's 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 very much established and experienced in that. But a young journalist starting out tomorrow might be, you know, concerned about libel laws or concerned about spending a lot of time digging for stories and not being paid for that time. You know, hmm. so I suppose we need. Going back to David's point earlier, when we're looking at the future of media reports, you know, is there going to be a funding of freelance, Mm. uh, a a freelance model as well? Or will there be, or will local media be, or national media organisations, will there be, you know, a fund that they can use towards... yeah. freelancers who could work at the, yeah. on the investigative stuff I don't yeah. know
0: or will, will media outlets let's say hang their financial hat on one area yeah. particularly so like sport it. but bring the other areas along with them I'm just wondering Caleb mm. since you're more in tune maybe with, with younger people how do you see you know or how, how do you think um, the, the model that I just described a moment ago where you have print you have online yeah. you have radio you have podcasts video casts and, and whatever comes next. Uh, do you think younger people are more comfortable with that?
3: I believe so. Honestly, so I'm the podcast editor for nirmicvoice.com. So we are providing a audio element to a website that provides print content in written form. So it's disciplinary, And I feel like young journalists are able, for instance, to go interview, let's say, a sports player, and they will record the interview They will take a picture of it and so they will have like, coming out of it, they won't have, traditionally you might just have the print article, but nowadays I think a young journalist will have a photo for the website, a video of the recording and then maybe an audio element to give to the podcast. So I feel like it's a labour intensive for the journalist, but I feel like journalists, young journalists are having to become that kind of, to feed all these different elements because there's a cyclical nature. So, for instance, in our news podcast, we feed back to our website and the website feeds back to us. So we're kind of trying to generate audience, but also retain audience and drive our traffic around. So I feel like when you talk about having these multi uh, platforms within the one banner, I feel like it's so important. And it gives papers an element to expand as what i think
0: yeah I, i'm just thinking at the moment let's say some um media outlets have a paywall uh, or a partial paywall some have no paywall uh until everyone is kind of gets together i'm just thinking the examiner don't have a paywall for example the guardian in the uk don't have a paywall. Um, does that frustrate, let's say, you, park for example, uh, or people who who are, let's say, in the Independent, i.e., or the Irish Times who are behind the paywall? The RT is another one, the RT website, isn't. Which, which isn't... Uh, mm. Is that a bit frustrating?
5: Yeah, I think the Irish Examiner have started something yeah. since... Um, Just a subscription, recently, yeah. yeah. And it's working well from what I can gather. But I, I, I think, yeah... Um, Definitely, I think I'd be. There has to be value placed on journalism, and if the media companies themselves aren't doing it, mm. who is going to? You know, that'd be my. But question.
1: then, if you have the national broadcaster, T and I go always go to the BBC for international news and CNN. Rarely, BBC has uh, dropped in its quality in the last few years. <laughs> might I add, if anybody from the BBC is listening, um, they're the national broadcasters. They get paid. Um, that's surely a disadvantage, isn't it?
5: it is but like I won't go into a whole tangent about license fee and everything but it just comes down to again just getting back to the original question in terms of paywall and values and stuff Um, and like I'd nearly be very interested to see two uh, lectures here I'd love to see the stuff that's being produced because in terms of education and how we're educating journalists today because a lot of our outlets nationally particularly I find they have titles like breaking news reporter or fast news reporter which means Little Johnny or Little Mary or Big Johnny or Big Mary, whatever they are, they're, cha- they're handcuffed to a desk and you turn around that press relief as quick as you can. Yeah. That's not journalism.
4: Yeah. I, I do agree. Oh. The Fast News fast news journalist is, is, a, is a new role kind of in the last two to three years. It's a great place to learn, but there's a huge churn now. And it's this is a Catherine's probably come across this in the research. There's a huge issue with retaining young journalists like Caleb and like Potty, you know, who do two or three years Fast News up in Dublin paying astronomical rent, working every hour that God sends and suddenly they've gone to PR and I find all the time in my job I'm getting press releases in from people I taught mm-hmm. here in UL or even in Galway you know who've done a couple of years, made their name but they're not going to stick in journalism and that's that's a really big problem too and I don't think the organisations are, are, are really looking at that because younger people just I mean, won't yeah. soldier it out in the way that I mean Catherine
1: that your America. recent research on conditions, mm-hmm. would that have appeared?
2: Yeah so I w- at the end I, I had to talk about future you know research ideas and definitely a longitudinal study to see even since my last paper um, the people that have left to go to work in PR or comms roles so you have this kind of hollowing out of mid, mid-career journalists so when the kind of late 30s, 40s uh, Marriage, mortgages, kids come along, and the pressures of the of the job, and then working conditions, and you know, as we said a minute ago, the constant nature of the twenty four hour news cycle. So you would be concerned for that. Um, the, Fiona's point about j- journalists going in, starting out, they don't know any different, so, which is a good and really a bad thing because it sh- they should know that it it is. They should have good working conditions, you know, and there should be that mentoring that we talked about earlier opportunity. Um, but uh, will they stay, you know, so they'll do two years or three years? But that fast news reporter role, there's certainly, as Park said, there. I mean, there are people, you know, we used to call it journalism when you know, when <laughs> press release. I remember, in, in fairness, when the Limerick leader and editors, Jimmy Wolf was the editor at the time, said, Would you leave the office? You know, we had to leave the office and go out in the street and you know, shoe leather report and get get stories. We you, you come back in. With stories and any journalist worth their salt, mm. go out in one story, come back with three or four. Yeah. But now you've got uh, journalists, and their job is they're, they're tasked with watching just Twitter all day, mm. what's breaking, yeah. and just rehashing what's well, breaking. Well,
1: that's the that's a question now. Could yeah. I put this, Jim, to the, to the Claire champion, Claire echo journalist amongst us? Because um, occasionally, if I was involved in something, I, I would issue the press release. And I'd send Pori the press release and I'd send Fiona the press release. Like a lot of local journalism is around is not a lot. I don't know. I'm, I'm asking you what percentage would it be? Um, you're asked, you're being asked by somebody else, not your editor to cover the, cover a story. Fiona. Yeah, let Parikh think about I
4: it. I think it's, it's a relatively small percentage. I, I certainly find and covering East Clare, very, very little yeah. comes in. So you're <laughs> delighted to see a press release yeah. that might be relevant. But you'll always interrogate it. You'll always verify it. You'll pick up the phone. You'll you'll further develop it. Right. I, you wouldn't be a journalist worth your salt if you were to just slap it in. But unfortunately, that is what is, mm. has been happening with the journalism phenomenon. And, you know, you do see people who just put their own byline, their own name on a press release and copied in verbatim and it's, ter- it's 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 really bad practice because um certainly political press releases and everything as we know has to be yeah. treated with that Yeah uh,
1: that's so an interesting one now because we 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 on this show would would recognize this immediately uh there's deputy such and such uh that's the press release definitely yeah. and he wants he or she wants a bit of coverage to what extent that's
4: going up to elections that yeah. kind of becomes a nightmare How do you
5: deal with that well, it depends, like, everything everything is different. Like, as Fiona said, I wouldn't class it as a press release if maybe, like, for argument's sake, an email this week about an event in Doolan. So I, I would generally try and ring if it's Pat O'Brien that sends me an, I'll ring Pat, and get a bit more information and put it together, okay. like I did for that thing in Doolan. But, yeah. OK, it could be handy if there's a thing on Shannon Airport that I already know that there's funding going to come and I have it half-drafted. I might just fire in a comment from Councillor David Fleming. <laughs>
2: um,
5: or, or whoever it is. But, in That's general, like, advice. I... I have no problem saying it but uh, in terms of our own in the Clear Echo, I have kicked up over press release is going in when there's been should have been journa- you know proper journalism or stories um because like people always say oh if they're giving out about a story a paper never refused ink it actually does today as Fiona says <laughs> because <laughs> the ink the, the, the price of paper has exactly. gone up <laughs> so we're 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 so tight for space but um just on that like I would always If I had a choice between a story or a press release, I'd always go to a story, but I have said inside in the office, I said, if we want to go to press releases, there's no need for me. You know, because that's yeah. that that weeds out journalists. Yeah, yeah. It's a newsletter then, not a newspaper. i would like to try explain that. Do you want a newsletter or a newspaper?
1: That's a good point. You know. Yeah, nice mm. comparison mm. there.
6: And just on the, on the, the license lic- fee, the license fee all goes to RT. There's no, nobody else getting any money out of the license fees.
4: Some independent producers get it through the Sound mm. and Vision Fund. So yeah. you can apply if you're an independent and you want to make something for Claire FM or for RT as a private, you can, but it's a fraction, fraction yeah, yeah.
0: of the license mm. fee. Mm.
1: And why do you think, I mean, the Future of Media Commission recommended that we change, the state change the way it pays for its media. Why do you think the state has not, the government have not accepted that?
5: It's going to be interesting. I think across the water, they're nearly ahead. There's going to be a change there first. And I'd say they might follow suit then in terms of <laughs> what happens there. So I'd yeah, say watch yeah. what happens there. But and do, you,
1: do, do, do you envisage maybe local media? I suspect the, the radio station would hope as well that um, there would be some sort of a, a public service um, contribution if you were covering...
0: Um, and we wouldn't refuse it.
1: No, no, like like ink refusing paper, you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's an obvious one, isn't it? If if we value our local press for uh, for for the va- for for the journalism that is produced and the and the, the things that we find useful in a society, but they didn't. They
5: didn't during the pandemic. That was the point. Yeah, earlier. Yeah, they didn't yeah. contribute to the local newspapers. Yeah. Or it was only local radio yeah so like it, the papers can survive the ns2040 yeah. strategy if it gets the funding but and based on the current model yeah. they won't so it's, i
1: hmm. mean jim down i think it was in wexford or waterford i think wexford uh, the c- local council funded uh, or contributed towards the community radio station and then there was a little bit of a um a problem mm. in that the local authority it was alleged. Um, was hoping that certain things would be covered and the community radio station didn't cover it. And It brings us back to the question of independence. Mm. I mean, wh- wh- what would be the community radio's response to something like
0: that? Well, I suppose the community radio response would be to cover everything mm. and to cover it in a fair manner and I mean, you know, you have different political parties, you're coming up to election, as Fiona said, in our area, let's say we have five county councillors, and we would endeavour to make sure that they would all get, uh, into not all together around the table necessarily, that mightn't make for great um, radio, but at least they would all get a chance to talk about issues that concern them and answer our questions. We would be quite careful that we would be, you know, that they would all get a... Definitely. get a yeah.
2: But there is a difficulty, though undoubtedly, if if I think not, I'm not saying Scarf Bay, FM. But it, you know, when you when you do, and maybe in its defence, I don't know, when Michal Martin said, rejected that. Uh, you know, is, is is there is there a concern that you know if you are being funded by, we'll say, a local authority, are you less inclined then to? really highlight how awful O'Connell Street in Limerick is looking at the moment if Limerick City and yeah. County Councillor are,
1: are keeping yeah. our lights on, yeah. you know. So It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, a hard one. one.
2: But equally, just going back to the Fiona and Park to one of the press releases, you know, because we have more ex-journalists now working in Pure, you can see press releases that are coming in now that are very well written, yeah. that are giving you the photographs, the video, everything you want. Uh, the the newsline is clearly there the story is there you know we often talk about them in classes is a good press release this isn't why does this work why doesn't that um you know and if you're in a newsroom where you have very few staff and you have um, more so online, I suppose, uh, content to fill. And, you you know, it's, it's, it's a very it's difficult one. It is Isn't hard, it? it's yeah. hard, you know. And you want, um, and I, we want our student journalists to be questioning press releases, to be making follow-up phone calls, getting new voices on. Um, but it, it's a, its a very challenging But then there's,
0: there's the reality of life in, there is, in yeah. the newsroom. And room. the
2: audience, I mean, people want, they, they want that trust, they want we We want journalism to do its job to fulfill its duty, but we also we need people to pay for it as mm. well I, I suppose
0: how do we i'm just looking looking at the let's say on the one end of the scale in russia um there is no independent journalism at all mm. i mean every you have to if you want to write you got to toe the party line, and then you go to the u s a where it's totally crazy where where you know anything goes. And, and, you know, everything is very partisan and um, the truth isn't necessarily what they're looking for, we seem to have it really fairly good in this country. Mm. You know, is that worth saving and is that worth making a case to government, let's say, that uh, the journalism that we have in Ireland is, is worth, we, we don't want to, we want to keep Definitely.
3: it. I, uh, I spent six months there on my Erasmus in Hungary, during uh, the election. So Orban, uh, Victor Orban was elected after 16 years to another term and people presume it's going to be another 16 years. And I remember looking at the media landscape and meeting uh, from the diaspora, like eternal, like international coverage of it. And a lot, this kind of ties into when we talk about the press releases, a lot of the coverage over there. So Telex, M2, these will be kind of the uh, Budapest, anyway, where I was based those will be the coverage for that and a lot of them are very are semi-state funded and kind of corporate led so there would be lots of press release kind of places you wouldn't get any independent journalists so i think when we look when you make a point like we should obviously fund it here because it could be much worse you get the example of russia and i just spent some time in hungary and i was like
2: That's i it. I, def, I
3: definitely appreciated when i came back being like
2: mm.
3: it's a much more there's problems here, but it is a much more uh, oh, healthier fun. landscape you know, yeah. in like a part of sense.
5: Like yeah. I'd, I'd hate to come across as being uh, overly pessimistic or negative, but as I said on the show before, that the biggest critic of the clerical would be myself. <laughs> so likewise, in terms of journalism, I'd be critical. But I think in general, Irish media had a golden opportunity during, and it was 15 minutes in when Catherine mentioned it, so we're nearly an hour on, I can mention it again, <laughs> about COVID-19 <laughs> and, and the pandemic, but... Um, Record numbers were tuning into those press Mm -hmm. conferences every night. Yes. And I felt I was disappointed uh, generally with our journalists. I thought Paul Cullen, health editor with The Irish Times was excellent. But I thought we did not hold Tony Hoolan to account Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. Um, I remember Lindsay Bennett being on the Late Late Show. Um, She had said the word she obviously didn't get an apology, but she said the word I when I was growing up was sorry. None of the journalists there pushed for Tony Hoolan to say sorry to any of those women but we put him on a pedestal and we actually put him on a mural. And I thought I thought the people of Ireland would have really respected journalism if we held these people to serious to account. Instead, we asked them, oh, when will the hairdressers reopen? Rather than, like, we're looking at the effects of COVID-19. We're seeing these lockdowns. We're still seeing the effects, but I just, with this point... Well, is it, was, is
1: it because um, Tony Holohan, the chief medical officer, and his, his colleagues had more trust in terms of percentage than anybody else in the country. So for a journalist to actually be critical, it might have done journalism no... no. Uh,
5: I don't think critical. so, because I remember, yeah. um, and I'm, I won't get her surname right, but Gabia yeah, with the Irish Independent came in and she asked questions that yeah. needed to be answered. Yeah. And there was a hostile reception to Gabia from the top table. And I'd say a word was added to her that... She, then a subsequent, I think, came out that your questions have to relate to COVID-19 mm. and the pandemic. Mm. And she did an excellent job that day. And I remember saying, she went up massively in my estimations after that particular because yeah. I was tuned into them every single night to get the clear cases and mm. um, it was nearly my ritual was six <laughs> o'clock yeah. COVID pandemic press conference <laughs> but because um, I was it probably tuned in more than most so I felt there was an opportunity there and we mentioned Richard Chambers obviously has little hinge connections and did very well in terms of breaking it down but just some of his colleagues particularly in Virgin Media and then some other papers ask the hard questions. that's what we're there for. We're in, as I said, a privileged position. Ask the hard questions. I'm not there to be friends with Tony Hoolan. I'm there (laughs) to do a job.
4: Yeah. yeah, but I think yeah. that's the hard questions. You know, the I think David, there's there's some there's some merit in that, that that the trust and and maybe that atmosphere, that very unusual atmosphere. There was another young reporter, and I don't want to, to don't go into her name, but who was ejected from from one of those press conferences. Um, and, and because the, she
1: was uh, asking tough questions.
4: Well, it's quite, I think it was more the manner in which she was asking the questions, and she was relating it to a specific case in County Mayo, which is where I'm from, and I'm, I'm I was kind of aware of it at the time, but she was actually kind of physically, I think. Um, manhandled out. I, yeah. I, I think at, at one point those, from
1: I those. I mean, there, days, there is a style, isn't there? Every journalist has their style, and I, I still remember Vincent Brown mm. <laughs> um, and his particular style of journalism, and him attending particular press conferences and mm. really sticking it to them. The singing fly. Yeah, like what, how how would you like if you're advising? I mean. I don't know. Do we teach this in the university, mm-hmm. or is this acquired? Or, you know, it's 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 the atmosphere of journalism. It's the approach. It's the
2: yeah. No, I mean, I suppose going back to what we're talking about a lot today was, you know, should journalism be funded? Should it be, you know, have, you know, but but equally, yes, it should. But equally, journalism then should fulfil its its part of its end of the of the deal. And journalism, as Park said. You know, it's, uh, uh, journalists have a very privileged position, but it's one that comes with huge responsibility. And, uh, you know, to hold those in power to account, you know, and um, I think to ask the, the tough questions, and I suppose going back to what I said at the very beginning, I was concentrating maybe a lot on Ireland being a small media market and heavily concentrated, but also within that, and I remember from my days, in journalism full-time you know you're out in a pack and limerick was a was such and still is but my gosh i worked in limerick at the height of the gangland problems um so it was such a busy busy news spot nationally internationally at times um you know and you were you were out at at press conferences at murder scenes and you know you were asking questions but there, there was a sense that everybody was asking the same questions mm-hmm. and there was always one or two journalists maybe going back to what you said there David I remember, I remember when Regeneration was um, launched here in Limerick with much fanfare literally there was a marching band <laughs> and um, <laughs> the president was here and this was going to say but like it took the petrol bombing of two small children in, in Moros in a car to eventually turn the heads of government you know for for Regeneration to start and it was launched with much fanfare but you know, we need to keep going back to regeneration in local and national media. What has happened since then? To ask the tough questions, you know, and this is great. It's happening. And, you know, the launch was in Moira, and isn't this all great? We're all here now. Some people who had never been in Moira prior to that. But as journalists, as Park said, we're there to say, yeah, but how is this really going to work? And um, we're talking a lot about, um, you know, building new houses. But what about the problems that will still exist? Just in nicer walls, you know, and I suppose we do. We need to. And your example at the of the COVID um, press conferences is really a really good one. Yeah, when you look at our health service, yeah. You.
6: But I suppose um, I suppose if everybody's look, looking at um, the RT, um, the late late show on Saturday night. Right on top of the. Well, um, I, I, I I felt anyway. I was waiting for a tough question. It was like a political um, broadcast for Mary Lou McDonald on Saturday night. You didn't ask any tough questions. Hmm. I wonder how the
4: panel feel about crowdsourcing of journalism, because this is something that I don't know if any of the research, there's research on it, but it would say the journal do a really good... Um, this, this is the journal.ie. Yeah, yeah, called Noteworthy, and it's crowdfunded. And it's the sort of anybody, I think they're generally freelancers, they approach mm. the journal yeah. with the idea... They crowdfund, they crowdsource the, the funding through a GoFundMe, kind of a similar yeah. mm. situation. And then they do, they've done remarkable investigations. This investi-
1: so investigation. Absolutely, yeah, really, really thorough, yeah. really, really good. What th- do journalists th- need money for?
4: What do journalists need money for? Um, to protect, I suppose, you know, against libel. When you're, when you're. Uh, well, I'm sure obviously journal.ie have, have their insurance that covers that, but it's the shoe leather journalism that Catherine talked about. You know, the ex- it's the private research, yeah. it's the expenses, it's the hours of digging, yeah speaking, travelling, and maybe getting very little for yeah. that. It's incredibly time-consuming.
1: The one, the one area where, the one theme or the area where I feel nationally, whatever about locally, that we don't cover as much as what happens commercially. Um, You know, companies, accounts, and it's all available, but it costs money to get those accounts from the company registration office. Um, You know, white collar stuff. I'm not saying crime. I'm just saying what goes on in companies. And we've mentioned media companies, but we don't hear a lot about Mm -hmm. that in the newspapers, unless it goes to court.
4: Unless it goes to court or unless they're audited by a public body which yeah. is subject to FOI and that's, yeah. that's relatively rare. I mean, the EPA, for example, if yeah. they're auditing a private company who might have yeah. certain emissions, sometimes you can secure documentation through FOI from the EPA. But I agree with you. There's there's a huge yeah. kind of a gap and it's very difficult. Um, I think the overall landscape for investigative journalism is,
1: is not but very
4: that's what we need money secure. for. You know, and the time yeah. that goes into because yes. the
2: amount of information that's available now, and you know, data mining and data mm. journalism, it's just huge, huge. opportunity to tell, tell stories. Look at what they're doing on Maliki Brown's team in the mm. New York Times, but you know, even the Irish, the Irish Times had, um, and you know, when, and the Guardian, you know, data uh, journalism teams working with. Um, uh, computer people you know technical people and looking at, yeah and, and it just takes time but it's yeah. worth the search you know? Where w-
1: would, you, would the where where would porig and fiona see that type of data and analytic type journalism at a local level what sort of areas would you be if you had all the resources in the world
4: yeah, I think the CSO are bringing up. You know, sometimes you don't have. You know, you know that there's more, and the CSO are very cooperative if you ring them up and say, "Well, we have a table here, but is there is there another raw data that we could access?" Yes. but just to have the luxury of yeah, the time that's the
1: Central data Statistics data. Office, and yes. it could be around um, yeah, improved, socioeconomic groups or whatever.
5: Well, you you could be you could be going data mining into everything, but like Fiona will probably identifies well with this. That's massive job, and in terms of time. Yeah, but there's not. Maybe it's a good thing there's not too poor Rick McMahon So <laughs> I can't it <laughs> would be a good thing. You have, to, you, have to, you have to. You have to. I won't say feel, but like you have the East Clare page and all these pages that we done North, South, Shannon, everything. So you yeah. kind of have to pick your bits and fire them in as well, and then yeah. be working. You're nearly doing those things on the side as doing seven or eight jobs. Yeah. you know, um, and they're all watching you they're all watching so it.
1: time is a premium like so many other professions time time is the premium yeah,
5: but like that money would help bring in what you'd hope bring in more journalists But um,
2: and young journalists yeah. it's exciting mm. I mean that night uh, I keep going on about it but I was just, just so excited watching what, what can be done now and they were reconstructing uh, crime mm-hmm. scenes they were you know, using the best of investigative journalistic skills and then technical minds. And as I said, there was an architect and, you know, it'll, it'll attract people into journalism and it'll allow journalism, I suppose, to fulfill its, mm. its, its, its watchdog role as well. And,
0: Fiona, I suppose we're all watching time at this stage and we're oh, pro- coming towards the end of the programme. Fiona, you love what you do.
4: I do, Jim. And it's a privilege, as Pawdy said. Mm. I I absolutely, I I do love it. I wouldn't be in it if I... I So what
0: advice would you have for for Caleb?
4: Um, I, I think Caleb is coming into journalism at a really good time to, mm. to be fair as Catherine said I think there are new ways of doing journalism and they are coming to the fore and um, it's brilliant to hear your experience in Hungary I think that's you know the more experience you get as an individual in the world the more experience of the world the, the greater your curiosity is going to be so I suppose be curious be persistent and uh, take the advice of, of great journalists and lecturers mm. like, like Catherine yeah. that would be my advice but you know I can I can tell by the way that you've spoken today that you're passionate about it and it's it's to keep the passion going and to have the working conditions don't put up with poor working conditions yeah. I think Catherine's research kind of attests to that
2: and that's another good thing I think that young mm. people we see in, in all professions as sadly many of which are leaving our teachers are leaving, our doctors are leaving hopefully our journalists won't start leaving but young people are saying, you know, I hate this word what is this quiet quitting mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. people are just saying no, no I don't want to work in bad conditions and we need to, in all professions and it's not just in journalism, people have you know lots of important jobs but uh no it is i mean and i often do say even though i'm very aware my research is very negative <laughs> but i hope it might inform change or have informed change but would i do it all again in the morning absolutely um in terms of being uh if working in in journalism full time it's privileged uh, exciting it's
1: there's the a, buzz. a, I a get buzz. buzz I get a real buzz from and all four of you
2: asking questions and yeah. finding out the answers and not being afraid to ask questions But I'm
1: thinking of changing profession.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Parik is sometimes as news and sport editor and sometimes you are the story Parik because he, when, he's playing <laughs> for, when he's playing for your marketing focus. Fergus um, but you, you always struck me as someone who loves what they do yeah, um, I do.
5: Um, I, I, whatever, I, I, people sometimes say I'm negative. I like to say I'm realistic. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. I love it. It's um, no two weeks are the same. And it is a privilege, I keep saying, privileged position. Um, like there are some things to be mindful of, like um, you have to have a thick skin like if you don't have that you should not be in the job like yeah. I from a young age was exposed to like pe- people giving you abuse on Twitter yeah. that you didn't even know these people and don't engage. while it was you know i like brush it off because I do have a very thick skin but it was actually great to get that abuse on Twitter because you know it hardens you up a bit and um, and again you get that like I'd be I love the job love going out around Claire and stuff but I would be slow to go out the night of a Claire hurling match because you are I'm in the firing line because I could write an article and Hmm. you know obviously if it's a night out there's alcohol involved and you're you know the lens is focused on you to be in the firing line so there are certain things that can be be awkward in a sense and you know from that side but it is um i have three sisters that are teachers and i could have easily went that down that line but um (laughs) i like to i like to have a bit of variety and there's nothing more variety than local
0: media so a thick skin would would be something that caleb would need (laughs) or need to develop yeah yeah, and Kate, What about yourself? Now you've you've heard as well as contributing today. You have listened to different things. You've listened to the experiences, particularly of of Catherine and Fiona and Parik. Uh, what do you um, What do you think looking back <laughs> on the show?
3: Uh, it's a it's a, it's a problematic market. Like I don't think any any journalism student, even in first year would like dismiss it. That like it's there's there's definitely issues and going forward. There, there's more issues to come and. Perhaps not many solutions. I am like I said, I'm kinda of pessimistic too, but I am also ambitious. Like I do think like there's always a place for journalism and I always feel like it's so important. Like you were talking about court reporting there, and I remember a few years ago one of the writers for The Wire was in a US Congress and he said if there was no journalism, who'd be at the courts? Who would be at these like local council meetings? And no it's so important to have these checks and balances and I feel like if they weren't like we, m- perhaps don't always see them. But if they weren't there, we'd probably we'd never. We'd see miss them. them. Yeah, mm-hmm. completely miss them. So I do think there's absolutely important role.
0: So hopefully, people who might listen to to this broadcast or listen to the podcast afterwards would realize maybe what we have in mm-hmm. this country, and maybe say this is worth saving.
3: Yeah, support mm-hmm. local. Like if you if you read a local paper and there's a way to contribute, contribute. Yeah. Like view the online. The ads contribute to the investigations from noteworthy and stuff of like that. Like, do chip in if you were in a financial
1: place to do so.
0: Okay, so we'll leave it at that today, David. I let you thank our guests. Well, well,
1: I, 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 we couldn't have chosen better guests. Actually, it would be my view. It was really, I, I learned a lot uh from listening i hope the listeners learned a lot uh thank you very much porig caleb fiona and catherine um we might have them back uh, in a couple of years to see if their prophecies have come through but uh we'll play the tape we'll play the tape we, play the tape. <laughs> yeah. we will we'll keep
0: them to account <laughs> okay well thank you david as well and uh thank pat for for coming in and uh we'll we'll leave it at that. Um, Many thanks to everybody for joining us on our local media special. And we look forward next week to getting back to the normal local media where we'll look at Fiona's and Porik's articles and we'll give our own take on them. Uh, Thank you all very much. Thank you. Thanks